stealing in as relapse sums above the den. It's hard to know if this will be the day when you give in. Give in. Give in. Give in. Hello and welcome to episode 415 of the Thinking Poker podcast from Catonsville, Maryland. I am Andrew Brokus. And from Las Vegas, Nevada, I'm Carlos Welch. And we will be joined shortly by uh, a man who we can now reveal his real name is Bert Stevens. Um, he has actually been a guest on the podcast before uh, when he was just going as Giraffe Ganger. But uh, as he put it, the tax man has found me. So uh, he is uh, playing poker and creating content under his real name now. Um, it didn't feel to me that it had been that long. It's, it's been about four years since he was on the show, but a good indication of how long it's been when I, I looked, just looking back at the four and a half years, I was looking back at the episode description and I felt compelled to refer to uh, game theory solvers. So I guess the, <laughs> just the term solver, you know, like I think at this point it's pretty well implied. <laughs> it's a game theory solver, but um, yeah, that was the term that I used in, in the episode description. So uh, in, in in poker years, it's been quite a while since he was on the show. Right, right. Yeah, that sounds like it was a while ago. And, and thank God we can call him Bert now because I could never remember how to pronounce uh, if it was like giraffe felt too easy. Yeah, so I it feels felt like, like, a, like <laughs> Yeah, yeah, especially given that he's European. I figured there was some sort of accent thing going on there, and we were just screwing it up and Americanizing it. But uh, he seemed to be fine with us pronouncing it as giraffe. But, I mean, there's no uh, ambiguity about Bert. Right. <laughs> um, so the other thing, we actually didn't talk to him about this, but uh, a fair number of people listening to the show probably know that you and I have done a review of your um, the WSAP online tournament where you want a bracelet. That we we did a review of that for Tournament Poker Edge. But you actually did one of those with Bird as well. Yes, I did, and this was for Jonathan Little's site, PokerCoaching.com. Um, Bert and I went over some of the key hands from that tournament. And it was a blast. And I personally learned a lot. And I think the people who watched it did as well. Yeah. And I mean, he has a lot of good content on there. He's also, I mean, I should, I could say one of my favorite streamers, but truthfully, like I watch very, very, like I, I think I said this in the interview, you and he are just about the only two people I've ever watched stream poker. The only other time I can remember, and, and I really have a hard time watching Doug Falk, but um, I did. He he was streaming cards up when he was playing, I think it was the million dollar event um, there or whatever. The, the, I think it was a million dollars, whatever the like, really high, super high buy-in, uh, online event that he ended up winning. Um, he was streaming that with cards up and I was like, oh, this is really too good of an opportunity to like watch. He was like one of the best players in the world at that time. And I was like, I'm going to have to like grit my teeth and watch this because the, <laughs> the, the strategy content was very good. But um, I have a hard time watching him, whereas uh, Bert, I think, is just a delight to watch. He's very funny and, and also a fantastic uh, online poker player. Yeah, he's definitely one of the more fun people in poker, and he's a good guy, so he's easy to root for. Yeah, this is a big part of what we talked about in this episode. Um, so I mean, the, the main themes you can expect from from this interview, uh, we talked a lot about um, the the 
online poker landscape now, which neither Carlos nor I has, has great insight to outside of the United States. And uh, Bird is is one of the most successful players still playing uh, online MTTs specifically. And so he was able to give us some insight into, you know, what are the what are the good sites? And we also talked a fair bit about um, security, which you know, th- this is an ever evolving thing because concerns about like real-time assistance and uh, real-time solvers and stuff like that. I mean, that stuff is changing on like practically a daily basis. Uh, but he had, he had some insight into that like what he is and is not concerned about. Um, also, some of the recent like online cheating scandals he's been, um, I don't want to say involved with because that makes it sound like he's like, <laughs> currently, I mean, in, in at least one case, he was involved as one of the people who was like most significantly cheated by the, the people colluding on, um, on or I should multi-account thing and probably colluding on uh, GG. And um, he actually was uh, staked for a while and, and did some coaching for... Um, Bryn Kenny, yeah, for for Bryn Kenny, which uh, again, I, I think I'm not really inclined to like recap the whole Bryn Kenny saga for people who I, I I think a fair number of people will be familiar with it. Um, I would encourage you if 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 you want more, you can Google like Bryn Frog Kenny. Poison. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Bryn Kenny frog poison, and uh, you can probably find some threads discussing this. I don't think I know the details well enough to like. I, I don't want to like get a detail wrong in 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 summarizing it, but um, he had some some insights that he knows a lot of the people in, involved in that. So we talked a fair bit about that, and then the other thing that I think is probably most unique about him is uh, he actually lives and plays online poker from. Uh, a farm essentially like a, a place I, I think it's primarily his his girlfriend's thing although he's gotten pretty involved in it um where they care for rescue animals so he has quite a few um animals and so if part of the thing if you follow him on like instagram or i think they even occasionally will make a uh maybe you were just suggesting they should make a cameo on his on his stream um right. but he has a lot of fun uh pictures of the, the various animals that he lives with if you follow him on like twitter or instagram or whatever and then we talk a good deal about that as well yes and for those of you who are interested his first episode was episode 285 from February of 2019. So um highly recommend you check that one out as well as this one. Yeah, that was a good, I mean, he's, he's just a very fascinating guy. Um, so I really enjoyed talking to him on this one as well. And I hope that you all will. Before we get around to that, we do have a strategy segment for you. And that is brought to you by GTO Wizard. Uh, you can sign up for GTO Wizard at gtowizard.com. You can also get a lot of great free content from GTO Wizard at uh, gtowizard.com, or sorry, at um, blog.gtowizard.com. Uh, and you'll find a lot of stuff that I and a number of other people have written for them. Um, you also have an opportunity to get free access to at least some of the material on GTO Wizard if you sign up for our uh, Thinking Poker Daily Patreon, which honestly is a great deal. I don't know why I always tell this as though like the main reason to do this is to get entered into the drawing <laughs> for, for GTO Wizard. It's a fantastic product. We have a lot of fun making it. People really enjoy listening to it. Um, what you get if, if, if you support us on Patreon, patreon.com slash thinkingpokerdaily, you get uh, three or five days a week, depending on which package you choose, you get a strategy segment of supposed to be roughly 10 minutes. I'd say our average is probably like 12 or 13 minutes um, where Carlos and I either you know, answer somebody's uh, just a theory question or discuss a hand or something like that. Uh, I think the strategy content is really high and the entertainment value is through the roof as well. We have a lot of fun doing these. We laugh a lot. Um, 
it's yeah I, I think it's just it's it's great like, i mean obviously i'm i'm biased but i think this is a really a high quality product that if, if you enjoy listening to the show you are not going to regret signing up for uh for thinking poker daily and i mean if you do it now you're going to get access to like close to two years worth of back episodes in addition to everything that we make going forwards yeah that's what i was about to say like you know as we do this more and more the value just continues to increase because you get the the uh catalog um today's episode was episode uh 706 yeah <laughs> so, so we've done yeah damn near two years yeah 706 episodes of 10 to 15 minutes of um Andrew and myself primarily, but also if you go back far enough, Nate Mavis um, has done some strategy stuff there, as well as guest coaches. We've had Tommy Angelo and also Gloria Jackson. So yeah, for five, 15 or $50 a month, depending on which tier you choose, you get a lot of content at this point. And that amount just continues to grow every day. So that again is patreon.com slash thinking poker daily. And our strategy question is actually a question that someone submitted for thinking poker daily, but we're just going to steal it and talk about it on the regular episode. This comes from John, um, who played this hand in a $20 MTT on poker stars. It's the early stages of the tournament. John has played only 10 or 15 hands and noted a fair amount of limping at the table. Uh, Hero begins the hand with 33 big blinds and has three deuce of clubs in the small blind. We get the cutoff, who has uh, 43 big blinds, so they cover the hero. The cutoff open limps, the button limps, and the action is on John in the small blind with three deuce of clubs. I think especially in an unraked game, I mean, probably in a raked game, this is still a complete. I think in an unraked game, there's like no question that you would complete here. Yes, definitely. And let's give John some props for doing his most important job, which is paying attention to the hands he's not in. You're not going to get a lot of information in 10 to 15 hands, but just noticing that people are limping, especially on poker stars, which, you know, at least in my mind, um, tends to have tougher tournaments than the ones we have in the U.S., um, it's nice to know that, you know, these people are limping and kind of telling you that generally they're probably going to play passively. And once you do get a hand that you want to play, you'll be more prepared to play that hand if you observe the information ahead of time. Yeah, that's a great point. And even the limp itself, I mean, aside from like what Elsa tells you about them, like if I saw a limp in a lot of the games that I play, I would be like, whoa, that's weird. That probably means something. Like that's probably, there's yeah. probably a pretty specific reason why this person is doing this. Whereas if you know that there's just been a lot of limp or the, at least this player has been doing a lot of limping, then you're going to interpret that very differently. And that might have big implications for just what you think their range is for going to the flop. Never mind like how you think they're going to play after the flop. Exactly. Uh, now, John says here, and there, there's a few places where I, I want to share John's John's reasoning. And I think I'm saying this not to to like shame John or whatever, but just because I think it's it's John's at a point, it seems, in, in uh, his development as, as a poker player, where he's kind of transitioning from some simple rules that he, you know, so there's a lot of these going around. Like when you're first getting started in poker, there's a lot of rules that are like, they're decent you know, starting advice. It's hard to make big generalizations in poker, but you, know, you get a lot of rules that are designed to sort of like keep you out of trouble and, and help you avoid some big mistakes that a lot of people make early on. And I think a lot of what I see in, in John's reasoning, I'm going to give you an example of this in a second, is someone who's you know kind of 
reaching butting up against the limits of, of what those rules are doing for him. Like he's gotten as far as he's going to get with those rules and the next big step. And I think this can be true for a lot of people listening to this show to, to various degrees is, you know, to get better at poker, it involves recognizing when you can't just blindly follow those rules, you know, like those rules are going to be good for depending on the rule, like 70 to 90% of situations. And then, you know, getting better at poker, like everyone can learn those basic rules, you know, and, and as you play in, in tougher games, like people know those basic rules. And then the edge becomes about, you know, what are the cases where you don't follow those those basic rules and what are the reasons why you might do something different um so john says uh, i typically avoid limping but with three d suited and having observed limping at the table i limped hoping to see a cheap flop and hoping for straight or flush draws that would play well post flop should i have raised i felt i would fold to a raise or a three bet so i elected to limp should i have folded if i was unwilling to raise and you know the the general rule here which is I think broadly correct is like you shouldn't limp um don't limp and really it's more like don't open like you don't want to rate limp as the first right. first person in uh what john doesn't explicitly say here which is massively important is that he's in the small blind so when you're in the small blind you are getting a much better price to complete especially once other people have have limped um you're getting a very very good price to complete here so it's going to be correct to play many hands that are not good enough to raise and three deuces is a good example of this like you know he, it sounds like he has uh he has heard a rule somewhere of like well, you should either raise or fold and, and never limp and from other seats that's generally true uh but from the small blind it's it's not true and and for the reasons that he gives like he's getting a really good price i still you don't want to do this with jits anyway Thing. Like I wouldn't do this with three dis offsuit, but he also you know, indicates that you know, correctly he's drawing to some pretty strong hands. So the problem with three dis offsuit is, yeah, you can make a straight with it. It's pretty hard, even when you do. It's not a very good straight. Um, it makes very bad pairs, obviously. So it's not the kind of hand that can win a multi-way pot. When you're suited and you have the potential also to make a flush, that really increases a lot your ability to win multi-way pots. So when you know that you're going to be playing like a five-way multi-way pot, it's going to be kind of deep because it's a limped pot. You want to have hands with potential to make straights and flushes more so than hands that can just make like a decent pair. Like it's you're not going to win a five-way pot with like middle pair or even top pair with a bed kicker. It's kind of hard to win a five-way pot. Uh, so yeah, I, I do think that this limp is is clearly correct, and I just wanted to explain why, like what makes the small blind different, and and you know what kinds of hands should be looking to complete from the small blind. Right. So John does correctly limp. Uh, the big blind checks, and we go to the flop, which is king of spades, queen of clubs, four of clubs. So John has flopped his flush draw. He has three deuce of clubs. Should we better check? Okay. <clears throat> I was waiting for this part. <laughs> this is where I get ridiculously out of line and deviate from what a solver would do based on the mistakes I've seen from these players and hopefully this player pool in general. I don't know if that's true on PokerStars, but if this were like a $20 tournament on Ignition, I'm pretty confident this is true. Um, generally, those players are overly passive, especially ones that we've seen limp multiple times in a 10 to 5 10 to 15 hand sample size and also in this particular hand where we've somehow ended up with uh four players to the flop so that tells me that this game is probably overly passive and when i'm in, a, in an overly passive game one thing you can expect is that your opponents are not going to bet or raise often enough and so when i have a draw like this um I just like to set my own price here because they're probably not going to do anything about it that is going to uh, make me wish I hadn't done it. So what I would do here is just lead really small. 
like one and a half bigs or something. I would, what I really want to do is see the turn card, but if I check and they have a hand that they want to bet, they're probably going to bet a bigger size than I would. And what I found in my experience is that when I do this play, they tend to just call that small bet with a lot of hands that would have bet bigger themselves had I checked to them. Something like a um, decent top pair. Or, I mean, it's crazy. I've seen, I've done this and gotten called by like two pairs sometimes. And, you know, and when they raise, they generally, like occasionally you'll get called by a hand like two pair. But for the most part, when they raise, they have like two pair better or a better draw, generally like some sort of combo draw or something. And if I'm up against that range, I don't want to be in the pot anyway. So what I would do is start with a small bet and fold to a race. This is a great opportunity for me to take my own advice about uh, knowing when to deviate from rules because my general rule is when you're out of position to multiple people and you have a weaker range than, than other people do. So even though we we believe that like the cutoff and the button probably have pretty weak ranges and they seem to be like v-pipping and limping a lot we still have a weaker range completing from the small blind and the big blind has the weakest range of all right even loose players in like the cutoff or the button are presumably folding their worst hand. like they might be folding three do suited for instance uh whereas we're completing with it incorrectly because we're getting a discount that they're not getting and because we're closer to closing the action so there are good reasons why our range is going to be weaker than other players even if they are loose players um and also good reasons why because of our positional disadvantage you, you alluded to and I think this is correct. Like a solver would probably just check its entire range in this spot. Like this is also not a particularly good flop for, for the small blind. Um, so my my rule would be, okay, I'm out of position to a bunch of people. I have the weakest range. I'm going to check. And you've given me a good reason to violate that rule, which is that I think, you know, if I can just rephrase a little bit what you're saying, um, these people are going to play better against a check than they are against a bet. That although they are too passive in general, they're better at betting than they are at raising. So if you check and give them a chance to bet, they're going to make a better sized bet than if you bet, they're going to be very reluctant to raise you. And so you can get away with setting your own price. Like in theory, that setting your own price is not a thing because they can just raise your bet. So what right. you're really relying on is that they're not going to do that. And I think, you know, you're, I, th I think you're right about that. Or it's a very compelling argument. Um, so yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to take my own advice and, and deviate from my rule of always checking here. Yeah. What you're relying on is that passive players are going to choose a passive action. And I think that's a pretty safe bet. Um, well, and I think specifically that they're more likely to choose a passive action if you bet than if you yes. check, right? Because yes. like you're not relying on them. Like if someone has, say, ace-king here, you're not expecting them to check it. But you're also thinking that they're not necessarily going to raise you if you bet like one big blind. Right. Maybe ace-king, but definitely not like ace-ten. Um, definitely not any like backdoor draw bluff type hands like jack yeah. 10 of space no chance uh well actually that's a straight draw so maybe so i'm thinking something more like ace jack of spades they're never raising that sort of hand if they're actually passive players but if you check they might choose to bet their hand and if they choose to bet it they're gonna bet it a lot bigger than you'd like to um call so yeah, against these passive players, you do get to kind of set your own price. And because of because they're so passive, when they do raise, they reveal so much strength about their range that they basically tell you they have a range that you don't want to be up against anyway, and you can easily just check full. I mean, bet full. Whereas if you start with a check and they make a big bet, you're going to be compelled to call with a hand like this, and so you don't kind of 
I don't know the right word for it, but you you don't you don't define their range as strong as easily by check calling as you do by betting and having them raise you. It's interesting you say that about being compelled to call because that's that's where we're going. Um, our hero checks and it ends up checking around to the button who I'm sorry, checks to the um cutoff. This is the first limper. Uh, and the cutoff overbets, the cutoff bets 125% a pot, bets five big blinds into a four big blind pot. Uh, the action is back on our hero, and uh, it's been a while since we told people the board. So uh, <laughs> our hero has three deuce of clubs, and the board is king of spades, queen of clubs, four of clubs. So facing this big bet from the original limper, uh, John says, I put him on a big pair, maybe a Broadway draw. Um, I called, given that I have a flush draw and a backdoor straight draw. Seems pretty straightforward. And this is another, I can kind of see the rules that John is following here, which would be something like, you know, you're not going to fold a flush draw on the flop. Uh, and that's, if, if we were to like look at solvers, you've done a lot of work with with solvers, you're not going to see many examples of solvers folding a flopped flush draw, even, even potentially to an overbet, um, let alone if you also have a backdoor straight draw to go along with it. However, those solvers are looking at heads up situations. Multi-way pots are pretty different. And it's also important to remember like why we're in here at all is just because we are getting a really good price. And so we recognize we're playing like a pretty bad hand and we don't, um, we shouldn't expect that we're going to be able to get our full equity. Like we were getting an extremely good price and we we know that we're playing from a disadvantage. We're playing from the worst seat at the table. We're playing a really weak hand and um, you're not you're not terribly likely to win. So this is very different from a heads up pot. In a heads up pot, there's going to be better opportunities, for instance, for you to bluff, even if you miss your draw. It might even be possible that you could, like in a heads up pot, you might be able to win by hitting a three or a deuce. That's much less likely in a multi-way pot. This person's bet is much stronger because they're betting into three people than if they're betting into one person. Um, so I think there's all kinds of things that can go wrong. Also, the risk of getting like flush over flushed is much higher in a multi-way pot. So, you know, you mentioned before the possibility of getting raised by a bigger draw. And one of the problems here is that like, not only are we not getting a particularly good price to draw, but the hand we're drawing to is still not one we can feel very confident about. Like if, if we call here and the flush comes in, uh, I mean, we have a good hand, but there's still a little bit of danger attached to that. And given that that's like our best case scenario that we're holding out for, um, I actually would, would not call here. Uh, I guess I'll, I'll pause here and say if that's controversial with you. No, I would definitely fold here. Another point is that we're up against passive players, and one of these passive players has decided to make a massive bet. So that range is a lot stronger than the range that a solver would expect. When you see solvers not folding flush draws on the flop, it's because, like you said, Andrew, they are up against uh, one player and they has up pot. Um, and also they're up against uh, more balanced ranges with, you know, a sufficient number of bluffs. But when you're in a multi-way pot against passive players whose overbetting ranges are way too strong, there's no reason to call with a flush draw this week. Yeah. Um, one way that's useful to think about this is just, you know, risk and reward. So by calling yes. here, you're risking five big blinds. Like that's what you're putting into the pot. And I'm even going to ignore, so like one risk you're taking on is the big blind is still left to act behind you. They could raise. I'm, I'm even going to ignore that risk. So we'll just assume the big blind, like you can look left and see the big blind is, is planning on folding. There's still a question of how are you going to get those five big blinds? Like you have to win at least five big blinds after calling this bet. And, you know, where's that going to come from? How are you going to do that? 
most of your equity is going to come from making a flush, right? Like you're very unlikely to win this pot unless you make either a flush or a backdoor straight draw. Like in theory, some of that equity could come from bluffing if your draw misses. I think we've I've already you know, said, and I think have good reason to believe that because this person's range is so strong, you're probably not going to have good bluffing opportunities. Like if you don't, if and I think John is probably you know would agree with this as well. He's he doesn't really seem to be planning on bluffing if he misses. <laughs> he's just like, well, you know, maybe I can get there. Yeah. Here's another rule that I would say is uncontroversial and always true. Don't try to bluff passive players who are telling you they have a strong hand. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so you know, there there's now there's nine big blinds in this pot. It's gonna be 14 if if we call. And you might know, like sort of back of envelope math, you have something like a 35% chance of making a flush if you call. So you even there, it, it's already a little dicey in terms of like, are you actually getting the right price to, to call? But that's assuming you're going to see two more cards. So one of the problems you're going to have is when you call this, if the turn is not a club, your opponent's going to have the opportunity to bet again. So what you're paying for is not to see a showdown or to realize all of your equity. What you're paying for is to see one more card. So your chance of turning a flush, we have to cut that number in half. You're only going to turn a flush like 17 or 18 percent of the time. Uh, you know, maybe you can also continue if you pick up like an open-ended straight draw, or maybe you can also continue if you pick up a pair or something. Uh, I mean, there might be a few other scenarios where where you get to continue, but like there are a lot of turn cards where you're going to get pushed off of your equity, or you know, if you, you know, stubbornly call again, you're going to be putting in a lot of money very bad. Uh, if if you were to you know call again on a on a blank turn, so you know, recognize what you're paying for. It's only to see one more card. Now that doesn't mean that you can make these decisions just by like counting up your outs and comparing it to your pot odds, because a big part of what you're banking on when you you know call with a flush draw, for instance, or even more so the backdoor straight draw, is like if the hand comes in, you can potentially win a lot of money. Like you might even be able to stack this player if if the hand comes in. So you can try to factor that in and think about, well, how much could I win if, if it gets there? And this is the other part of the problem is you're just not going to have that much money behind. Um, so, you know, once you call this, you're going to have like 28 big blinds behind. So you're winning, you know, another like six times your bet if you stack him when the flush draw gets there. That's not a guarantee. This is one of the problems with being out of position is it's hard for you to put money in the pot without looking strong. So like when the flush card gets there, you could just lead out, but that makes it kind of obvious that you have a flush. But then if you check, your opponent still might be worried about the, the flush and they might check behind. And then, you know, you could try to like shove 2x pot on the river and then they might fold. Or, you know, if you don't shove 2x pot, then you're not getting stacks. So even if the flush gets there, it's going to be hard for you to put more money in good. I think truthfully, even against the kind of passive player, this is another thing that you say a lot, is that people do see the flush draw. So, yes. you know, I, I think that even against a person who's like a little loose passive, your prospects for getting paid are still not great, even when you get there. So I think a lot of things are stacked against you. And um, and yeah, I, I would just fold the flop. Yep. Um, John does call. And the turn is the four of, uh, it's not, the turn is the five of diamonds. So he has three deuce of clubs. The board is now king of spades, queen of clubs, four of clubs, five of diamonds. So he does have an open-ended straight draw to go along with the flush draw. Um, he checks, which I think is correct. Again, I mean, I would. This is another another like general rule of thumb is I want to be able to play my draws aggressively. I don't feel like I can do that here because this opponent's range is so strong. So I think John is right to not be trying to play it aggressively. But the full rule there is kind of like if you can't play it aggressively, it's often not worth playing. <laughs> I think that's kind of where we are. Yeah, yeah, especially facing the big bet. Yeah. 
So he checks again, and now the villain, uh, once again, bets slightly more than the pot, 15 big blinds into a 14 big blind pot. And uh, John says, my straight improves to an open-ender, and the Broadway uh, draw remains unimproved. Uh, so yeah, I guess he's still considering his opponent might have the the Broadway draw. Um, I called the villain's bet a slightly over pot with slightly less than two to one pot odds and 13 outs. I felt uncomfortably loose passive making this call, but I felt I had enough behind to still be alive in the tournament if I missed on the river and would benefit by becoming one of the bigger stacks if I hit. And so I, I thought this where I thought this was going when I was first reading this is he was essentially doing like a, a pot odds and implied odds calculation of kind of like, okay, well, I'm not getting quite the right price, but if I assume I'm also going to win another 11 big blinds on a hit, then maybe it's correct. And that's how you want to think about it. Where he ends up going with it is this more um, sort of intangible, well, I'll still have some money behind if I lose and it would be nice to win and become a big stack. And I think that that kind of like, what is my stack going to look like if I win or lose is, I'm not going to say it's never relevant, but I think people are often too quick to to jump to this. This is what Nate would have called um, turning a hard problem into an easy one, where people are like, it, it's hard to do this, the sort of mathematical calculation I was talking about. So people will rather just say like, oh, well, I'll still have some money behind if I lose. I'm like, oh, it would be nice if I won. Like, that would feel good. Um, and they're like, right. of course it feels good. Or like, it would be nice to be a big stack if, if you win. But like those, like there, there are mathematical ways of, of addressing this, which is really how you, like you, you want to quantify those things. And that's what pot odds do are sort of like how, how much do you stand to lose versus um, how much can you potentially win if, if you get there? Like the, yeah, it's true that you should be even a little bit tighter than pot odds would dictate if it's going to threaten your survival in, in the tournament. It doesn't really go in the other direction of like, oh, it doesn't threaten my survival, so I can be like a little bit looser than what pot odds would, would dictate. Like that, that doesn't really go that way. Um, so yeah, I, I, th I think this is just something that you, I, as you get better at poker, you want to be addressing with more mathematical precision rather than just the, like the vibes of your stack if you if you win or lose. Right. Exactly. Um, but vibes were on today. Uh, <laughs> John calls. And on the river, he picks up the seven of clubs to complete his flush. He shoves his last 11 big blinds, which I think is wise. Um, you know, as, as we mentioned, that is going to be a scary card for the villain. We have to worry about the villain checking behind. So although it is going to look strong to shove here, I think you know, this is just the problem of being out of position. It's like you are you have to take a risk one way or the other. Either you risk looking strong by shoving or you risk your opponent checking behind by checking. And I think you're better off just making the shove yourself because uh, most people are, are too loose and this person seems loose. So I'd rather count on them making a loose mistake than an aggressive mistake. Um, so, you know, John does shove. He gets called by what turned out to be ace-king with the king of clubs. And what we see is that John was, in fact, well behind on the flop, still decently behind on the turn. Um, we didn't even address this possibility. The was actually holding one of the, the heroes outs mm, um yeah. and uh john did in fact get lucky and to his credit and i always have a you know high opinion of when people do this you know he sent us a hand that worked out very well for him and you could imagine a lesser player or a player less interested in improving looking at this and thinking like yep that's why you call with those draws i'm a genius <laughs> you know and so for john to like get a very good outcome to win a big pot and still recognize like oh some of my decisions in there felt yucky let me run this by somebody um i think that's that really speaks well to john's um future poker earnings yes i completely agree with that 
thank you very much, John, for writing. Once again, if you want to hear more of these strategy segments from us and maybe even hear us discuss your question, you can support us at patreon.com slash thinkingpokerdaily. Now, please enjoy our interview with Bert Stevens, a.k.a. GiraffeGanger7. Okay, Bert. If we can, we, we're we're safe to use your real name now, right? L- last time we had to say Giraffe Ganger, but I think your your real name is. Uh... Yeah, the tax man found me, so it's all good now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, welcome, welcome back to the podcast. It's so good to talk to you again. Yeah, it's my pleasure, man. It's my pleasure. Uh, it's been it's been a long time, you know. So I thought, like, uh, you know, I'm going, uh, I'm becoming a, an influencer, so I might as well reach out to the the podcast world, see what's up, you know. You, you've always been an influencer to me. <laughs> I know, I know. But now, you know, now I'm like, uh, you know, I don't know. What's a streamer compared to like what I used to be? You know, I was more of a shit talker. And now I'm like, <laughs> I don't know, more inspirational. You know, I want to be more uh, an inspiration to people. <laughs> yeah, I think you and Carlos are the only two people I've ever watched stream poker. That's that. That's how little I enjoy watching people play poker. It's a very high bar. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I understand it though. You know, I, I always liked it. Like I watched, you know, but it's different when you're playing online and you have like a stream on the side, you know, and kind of know the guy a little bit. And it's, I think that way it's, it's fun, but yeah, for me, it's, it's also hard, you know, uh, like it's, it's very dry, you know, I think it's very dry in general. I mean, to, to watch or, or to, to be the one streaming uh to watch yeah to watch no i'm having a lot of fun so uh, yeah it's been a little while since since i've watched you but i always found you very uh very entertaining yeah yeah i mean uh, it's gotten better you know so if you if you haven't watched in a while uh, you should definitely check it out again i've gone like i've gone i've gone like full like all in on the vibes and no no more strategy and no more you know (laughs) (laughs) just like vibing uh, you know playing a lot of music and uh just having a good time, you know, not nothing too serious. Uh, I really enjoy it. So, yeah. well, let's plug it now for for people who want to watch you stream. Where's the place to do that? Uh, Twitch, Jarofgonger uh, Seven. Yeah, I prefer the strategy, but I can always get that from the um, uh, poker coaching videos that you do with Acevedo. So, um, yeah. but but I also enjoy your vibes. I don't enjoy the average person vibes, but yeah, uh, I'm pretty sure. Um, yours are great. Uh, you probably get a lot of um, animal cameos on the stream, huh? Uh, no, no. I have like, um, like uh, my girlfriend kicked me out so because I smoke too much. Uh. I'm like, out, I'm like in an outside thing of the house, and no real animals. You know, I just uh, use them to promote the stream. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> they get a lot of pictures and uh, videos, and uh, yeah, well, that's how it- I do it. Yeah. If you can sneak one in there, I promise you it will blow up your stream because I I had a giraffe on my stream once and people and this is like almost 10 years ago and people can't stop talking about that. So <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, definitely sneak an animal if you can. <laughs> yeah, I, I thought about um setting up my desk outside uh Ooh. between between the goats, you know. I could do that maybe one, that one would, yeah, honestly, one off stream. But, 
that that honestly would go crazy. The internet would go crazy for that for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A goat amongst goats. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> what what's the full menagerie now? What's what's the latest uh, stock? Um, we have fifteen cats, uh, two dogs, five horses. Uh, I think twelve chickens now. Uh, two sheep, three goats, uh, two geese, and two uh, chinchillas. So I think that's it. Yeah. Wow, the chinchillas are new. I think from the last time we spoke. Yeah, yeah, they they just hang out. You know, they they come they come out at night and they just sleep all day. How many of them have names? Um, I think they do, but I don't know them. <laughs> but like uh, <laughs> the chinchillas, at least like the other animals, I know. Uh, all of them, yeah. But the, like all the all the cats have names. Yeah, yeah, of course, of course. The cats and... have names. The goats have names. Sheep have names. Uh, yeah, everything. Everybody has names. A lot to keep track of. Uh, I don't know. It's kind of like uh, you know, like sometimes you, you kind of forget, you know, the name of uh, like your uncle or something, you know. But <laughs> it's 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 a little bit like that. But uh, most of the time, I know it. It's like yeah, you know, family, so yeah. Yeah, I guess I can keep yeah. track of twenty-five people's names. I suppose I could do the same thing with animals. Yeah, and if you forget one, it's not like they're gonna get offended. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. That's true. That's true. Uh, so, what what prompted you to become an, an influencer? Uh, I mean, all the other influencers and influencers being kind of like the same, you know. Yeah. I feel like. It's very um, linear, you know? That's why, you know, like with Carlos as well, like it's just like a different kind of view on the poker player, you know? Like all these guys who, and and I I like a lot of them, you know? I don't have any problems with them, but it's very, it's all the same, you know? It's all the same, Mm -hmm. like it's not good. It's not good to represent, you know, poker or poker players or, you know, professional poker players as kind of like this blob of, you know, people who take themselves very seriously and, you know, it's all about money and success. Like it's all, you know, it's, it's very boring. It's very boring to me, you know? And I think like for a lot of people, it's very boring. And and I also know that a lot of poker players are actually not like that. You know, they just really like the game. They just want to play and have a good time, you know? And it's, uh, it's like this, this facade of, uh, you know, just a boring guy pretending that he always knows what he's doing and, you know, oh, the, the, the 1% better every day kind of thing. And, uh, you know, like the the Instagram shit, you know, like the, yeah, yeah the guys who just, oh, yeah, you, you could just be just like me, you know, if you just uh, be healthy and, uh, you know, stay positive and all that bullshit, you know, it's all, <laughs> like, it's all boring, you know, it's it's very boring to me. So, yeah, I was like, okay. I took a year off uh, of playing and I was like, okay, I want to, I want to start playing again. I'll just give it a shot. And um, yeah, without like really a plan, I just wanted to do it for like a month and then just see, you know, if I liked it or not. And um, I mean, the response I got was, was really crazy to be honest, like way more uh, viewers than I expected, way more, you know, positive interactions, way more like, it's already different than other streamers and other, you know, content stuff. Like, 
I don't really have any haters. I don't really have like these dumb guys questioning all my plays for no reason, you know. Like I don't really have those guys. I think it's like it's very good. I really like it the way it is right now, and I'm, I'm, I just hope I can uh, keep doing it, you know? Yeah, that was part of our motivation for starting the podcast as well, was wanting to highlight, I mean, not that we haven't had some people that you would sort of think of the mainstream or whatever, but highlighting how many different types of professional poker players there are with, you know, Carlos, you know, we, we met first as a guest on the show and um, him being probably the prime example of that, of just like what what it looks like to make a living from poker can mean very different things. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, for me, that's the thing, right? Like, because I... You know, like you said before, you know, I was already so, somewhat of an influencer, you know, like kind of, uh, you know, ironically, but it's, it, it, I was always like kind of the guy who just, you know, didn't give a fuck and just kind of like shat on everybody and all the sides and equally, you know, like I wasn't picking any sides. And, you know, when I saw something that was like, you know, a little bit fucked up, I, I just tried to uh, mockingly maybe, you know, point it out. And I think like that's how, you know, people got to know me on Twitter, I guess. Uh, and also, you know, winning a lot of money online. So <laughs> that's another thing that, <laughs> that, that helps, uh, you know, to have like this kind of, when you start streaming, a lot of people start streaming, you know, they have, you know, few results and they have nothing. And then it's easy for like people in the chat to be like, oh, you know, maybe you suck, you know, <laughs> but nobody could say that about me, you know. I, I could just I could just show them my graph and uh, they have to <laughs> they just have to shut up you know and it's great. <laughs> what are what are we as Americans missing about like I haven't played on Stars for ten plus years. Party has been even longer than that. GG didn't even exist back when when I could play on all the the poker sites. Like what does the poker the online poker scene look like now for for the you know non Americans? Well, I I actually think like. It's pretty bad in the sense that it's not just America anymore. Like a lot of countries now are either segregated or they have like very strict, uh, you know, like deposit laws, like even in the UK, you know, it's tax free and everybody can play. But at the same time, like for a pro, it's still not ideal because you can only deposit this much. You can, you have to, you know, prove of funds, all that stuff. Like it's very hard to you know fulfill all these kind of laws that are they pretend to be designed to protect people but it's it's just a bunch of bullshit in my opinion at least um and it's the same in like like germany has kind of like fucked up laws as well you know like a lot of countries are are you know not part of the global pool anymore it's not just america it's like really it's tough you know to be like just a guy who wants to play poker Hmm. on like a legit site and it really you know you can see that uh, in and the numbers at poker stars it's like when there's not a series it's kind of sad you know it's it's really you know not good like gg of course is a little bit more looser with uh you know like uh, <laughs> allowing players to play uh of course you also have acr which at least now they're they're somewhat going in the right direction with like Prize pools and having like a little bit more legitimacy. I mean, there still is kind of like this thing hanging over them of like, you know, they have a bad image, but I think it's at the moment it's somewhat fine. But that's it, right? Like, party poker is kind of dead. Uh, poker Start is dead outside the series. Um, 
And... Is it, is it, like dead is an accurate characterization. Um, I mean, I, I like if you compare stars to GG, it's like four times as small on a random day, you know, for wow. tournaments, or or even or even worse, <laughs> like five times already. And it's so like sad. It's like in, in yeah. my head, poker stars is still the industry leader. Like just for all the time that I was playing online poker, uh, you know, yeah. they were always the big dog. Yeah, yeah. I mean, for me, I haven't played on stars in a while. Um, I mean, it started when I boycotted them because of the, you know, the massive rake and then the rake increase at the micros. Uh, and then I started playing a little bit again. And then I was in the UK at that time and they asked me for, uh, you know, proof of proof of funds. And I was like, well, I won like, you know, a bunch of money on your site. Like, isn't that good enough? And he said, no. And I don't really have like money in the bank or property. I have nothing, you know, like I'm, you know. I'm just a guy, you know, who likes to give all his money away. So <laughs> I don't, I don't really have any money. So like, it, it was, it was like weird that, that they would just like block me and there was just no way to talk to them and like find a way around it or something. Like it was just like, okay, you know, you're out of here. And I'm like, okay, that's fine. And, uh, I haven't really, now that I moved, I haven't really, um, set up my account again, but I, I probably will in the future. Cause I, I do want to play, uh, uh, W coop as well. Because like, like you say, like Star still is the site, in my opinion, like prestige. Um, and it's just the trust level of like, you can keep, keep your money on stars and you're like 100% sure, like nothing will happen to it. And I think it's still kind of the only site. I mean, party poker as well, but party poker is, you know, there's nothing to play there. So like, it's, it's why would you keep your money on that side? But yeah, like they, they still have that kind of number one kind of thing. But numbers, you know, numbers wise, it's it's very uh, it's very bad compared to GG at the moment. What about what about the Sunday million? Is that not a big deal anymore? Uh, no, no, because it's a one hundred nine PKO. Um, oh that, my god! <laughs> that, and the, the the payouts are like really bad. Um, so like, you know, Sunday million, and you win it, and it's like eighty k, or you get second, and it's like I don't know forty five k or something. Like it's really bad. It's really bad, yeah. Yeah, this is um, hitting both of us like a ton of bricks. Like, yeah. you've been used to this for a while, but this is like a big rug pull for us to just see that, okay, stars is like not stars anymore. No, yeah. no, it's just, it's, it's just GG, um, basically. Like, that's like the one site that's like, they just keep going in the right direction for the most part, you know? Like, yeah, they, they just keep going. And uh, stars, you know, they kind of fucked up a, in the in the past i think a little bit and they can't really recover you know i don't know why they made the decisions that they made to me it was very obvious that they were kind of fucking up and the the only good thing that saved them is that there's no other sites that you know want to do anything about it i think like acr is now like a lot better but you know they had like a, a terrible schedule terrible software and still like they have like pretty good numbers but you know, it's it's not the site you you know you trust uh, the most, I guess, uh, as like a beginner or you know somebody who wants to grind. Uh, so yeah, it's it's pretty bad. Uh, and uh, but you can still win a lot of money during series. And now everybody runs like all the sites run like five six series now a year. So you can still win a lot of money. And those uh, you know the stakes the stakes are are still high for sure. 
Yeah, it, it does make me sad. I mean, in particular, the thing you said about support, because that was always that was like the the most legendary thing about stars was they used to have such good customer support and you would get like, you know, genuine human interactions from interacting with their support and like fast response. And they were very reasonable in, in how they handled things. Um, I mean, I, I, I kind of knew what you were saying or had a sense of, of what you were saying, but it is like Carlos said, it is still kind of like having the rug pulled out from under me when I actually like hear it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, I think like the support thing is, I mean, it's not just the support, but like their whole way of like pivoting away from like customer customer service and, you know, like trying to please a customer. Like once they start doing that, it's just like, you know, you know, it's like maybe short term, it's fine. And maybe they thought like online poker would just die and they wanted, you know, to get the quick money, right? Just by, you know, firing everybody, I guess, and raising the rake. <laughs> um but yeah gg showed that like you can just keep going you know like people love the game people want to play if you just make it like reasonably easy to deposit and get your money off the site and it's somewhat um safe then like people just w are willing to play forever you know it's not gonna it's not gonna die like i don't think it's gonna die at all it's just stars made the wrong decision and uh yeah now they're uh you know paying for it i guess you're not worried about like real-time assistance uh, killing the games. I mean, I was worried uh, when GG banned all the basically all the guys I was playing against every day. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so, <laughs> that that was uh, that was like a little little bit of a worry. But uh, <laughs> I, I talked to a bunch of the guys, and it's like, okay, you know, some some of them had like charts open, like preflop charts open, but it was not nothing like you know GG just banned like a bunch of accounts and said, oh, this is all RTA, you know, like all these guys were using RTA. This is like, they, they didn't release names, but you know, I played against all these guys and then the next day they weren't there anymore. So I knew who, who they were. And it's like, okay, if all these people are fucking cheating, like that's pretty bad because like it's at the highest stakes and it's small fields. So like if all these guys are cheating, like even if they're, you know, only gaining 1%, 2%, 3% edge, it's a lot when there's like, you know, the fields are 30 people and there's like 15 people cheating. <laughs> it's pretty bad. But yeah, mo most of them were like, you know, they just had some charts open and whatever. It was, it was not like a massive deal. And then, I mean, a couple were, of course, uh, cheating as they admitted themselves later on as well in a in some weird youtube video where <laughs> <laughs> i don't really understand why he did that but yeah like besides besides those guys like besides that crew i don't think like there's a lot of rta except with like i mean i talk about it a lot as well on stream and before as well is like you have this big uh, stable in brazil and they openly ghost and they have 400 accounts and they are on call when there's like two tables, three tables left with five guys and they're all running Sims and it's been going on forever. And the sides don't do anything about it because, well, one side made him, made him a pro and the other sides have like, you know, a deal with them, you know, because they have 400 accounts. So like they, you know, they help grow the price pool a lot, which, you know, is an understandable deal from the side's point of view, except that they're fucking cheaters. So like, it's that, that, that is really bad. Um, and it's very sad that it's probably not going to get fixed anytime soon. But besides that, I think the games are actually reasonably fair, even on ACR, you know, people say like, Oh, there's bots and they have like, you know, there's crews of people who cheat there. And I don't think so. 
I've only been playing like regularly there now, three, four months, and I, I don't really see uh, any sp- suspicious things happening all the time or something. So I don't, I don't think it's, uh, it's like as widely spread as I thought at a, at a certain point. Um, and it also doesn't really make sense um, to, to like use RTA when you're 20 tabling. Uh, it, it just doesn't really gain you that much, right? It's more, you know, when you're playing a series and you're in a 25K on the bubble, like, okay, then it's a lot of money and it's worth, you know, having a guy on call, you know, running ICM sims, right? Like those spots are, are obviously like worth a lot. Uh, but for like the regular player, I don't think you should worry too much about RTA, even in the future. I think like it's not that valuable to cheat, I think. So when you say that there's like a, a Brazilian stable that's like openly ghosting, like what is, when you say they're openly ghosting, like what does that mean? It means that let's say let's say let's say I have a friend, right? Let's say I have a friend. He's Portuguese, um, and let's say he applied to a four bet stable, you know, which is what it's called, four bet. Uh, let's say he applied, right? And in the first meeting, uh, allegedly, uh, they offered him a suboptimal. Uh, you know, deal to back him. So like they offered him, I don't know how much it was. I think it was 30%. So like industry standard when you get, you know, a staking deal or a backing deal is like 50-50 or something around there. Uh, So all these like poor Brazilians who can't speak uh, English very well, they get suckered into signing a contract where they only get like 25%, 30% deals. And, you know, they basically say that, oh, yeah, we're going to ghost you uh, when you're deep in a tournament, when you want it. But, of course, you know, you know when, when you're playing low stakes and uh, you can get extra money, like, it's just automatic. And then, yeah, that, that's basically what, what happens there um, all the time. And it's very bad. And it's very sad to see that, like, like even, even I did it for a while. It's like, oh, just all the Brazilians are ghosters and cheaters. And it's not true. It's not true. It, it's just, like, there's a lot. But it's it's just like that one big operation, and then maybe like two other small ones that like do kind of the same thing, but at a at a you know lower frequency. And it's um it's ruining the name of the Brazilians who are in general like just like very very good, and it, it's very sad. And uh, yeah, it's just not gonna get fixed because it's too profitable for the sites, you know. So it is what it is. Does it does that influence at all which sites you play on? Like, does the idea that you know, some sites have better security than oh, others? No no. no, no, not at all. I mean, I I can go in in uh, like more detail about like site security and how I think it's all complete fucking bullshit. But <laughs> please, uh, I, I I still I still want to get signed. You know, I still want to become. Okay. A... <laughs> <laughs> I still want to get signed. But yeah, in general, it's like once you start realizing that like there's no intention from the sides to, you know, actually catch catch cheaters it's like okay you know now i know right because like the guys who got banned on gg right at that point where there were like a lot of bands they didn't get banned on party they didn't get banned on stars you know so what happened you know like do they do they have like specific uh i mean i know what happened with gg but like i don't know like how, how can stars and, and party pretend to have good security when all these guys were even when they're not using like advanced cheating tools they were still breaking tos and gg caught them and stars and party never caught anybody uh at that point you know 
they, they, they didn't do anything. So like, why is that? You know, why is that? Why is that like the guy I just mentioned, like the four bad crew of Brazil is a PokerStars pro. Like, why is that? It's like, you know, every, like, I know that they're cheating because I know because my friend applied and we already know, we already knew before that, that they were doing that, but like, it's still going on. And like, they have to know, they have to know because the reason why they make, made him a pro besides like him being friends with Neymar or whatever the fuck it is, is that like, he has like thousands of accounts where he gets, uh, you know, they're linked to him, like some, some kind of affiliate deal and he gets extra rate back. So they know he has like thousands of accounts affiliated to him. That's why, you know, he's a pro, right? Like he, he makes like this kind of, uh, you know, extra money for them. And I literally told them like, why did you get, make this guy a pro? Like, he's like, you know, he owns the biggest cheating stable in the world and they just didn't respond and he's still a pro and they just don't really promote him that much, but he's still there, you know? So I, 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 I have no faith in the sites whatsoever to uh, catch cheaters. Uh, and the other thing that I think like is very telling is that when you report a guy, right, uh, for cheating, like they always say, you know, like stars also releases, uh, these kind of numbers where they say, oh, only 1% of the people who get reported for cheating were actually cheating. Algorithm to catch cheaters works so well that everybody who gets reported cheating is not actually cheating. But my thing is like, why would you admit that like when people report people cheating, your, your security didn't catch them? Like that's the whole fucking point. Like for the sites, it's actually bad to admit that the players recognize the cheater before your security because you have all the all the data everything so like it makes no sense for the sites to actually catch cheaters when they get reported because it undermines their legitimacy right so like this whole thing is like once you realize it it's just it's it, it, there's no reason for the sites also to like they don't care who wins you know like they only care about like the image of being you know a, a safe and fair environment to play and overall, it is like, I'm not saying, oh, you know, stars is full of cheaters, uh, ACR is full. Like, it's not like that, but I have no faith in the sides. I just think like, it's just still too much trouble to cheat. <laughs> like it's, it's not profitable enough to cheat yet uh, in tournaments, at least like in cash, probably it is. But in tournaments, I don't see how there's like a high extra ROI to cheat all the time. Like, I don't see it. I, I don't think it, it exists. So. Yeah, I think you're probably right about the all the time, but the just like the ghosting or having having someone take over, well, like yeah, that seems really bad. Even even for like lower state, right? Because I mean, it, it can make sense if you're like typically you're playing like a twenty dollar MTT, but then all of a sudden like you're at the final table and the money's really big, and then you're able to bring in someone where it's like worth their time to to play the final table of that. Like that alone is hurting the EV of other people in that tournament by quite a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, and it's specifically bad in tournaments that uh, have multiple day ones, right? So, like, you can just put in, like, you know, all your uncle's uh, accounts. You can just play on all their accounts, you know, on a different day. And then when, when you make day two, you can just play three or four accounts, right? Like, with a nice stack or something. And it, that, that happens a lot, right? That's, like, the... Like, there's good things about, like, having multiple day one tournaments because the prize pool is very big. It's very alluring to recreationals who want to win like the big first place money but yeah it's 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 a 
th those are the ones where on day two uh everybody plays gto all of a sudden like it's <laughs> it's ridiculous right but <laughs> it, it is what it is right you, you have to kind of realize it and just you know know that even though they're cheating they're probably pretty bad right like that's that's the only good thing i can say is that like most of the people who cheat are pretty stupid right so like that that's I mean, the they're, they're bad they're bad compared to giraffe ganger they're not bad yeah, yeah of, course, like of course of course of course mtg player yeah thank you thank you but <laughs> uh yeah no it's true it's true yeah yeah it's true it's definitely true but again at like you know if you play like a 20 dollar tournament it's most most of the time it has like you know a reasonable amount of players in it and it's only like a very small amount that is you know potentially going to be ghosted or is cheating in icm situations or something like that so it doesn't really hurt your roi that much right like it's still like a very very small part of the field you know i think it's only like a, a big problem in like smaller fields uh, at the higher stakes actually uh i think that's where like it's like a real problem yeah people were shut like some of those um maybe maybe you were playing in some of these some of those gg tournaments where it turned out like you know eight out of ten accounts in the tournament were all ali yeah the, the, like at a certain point i was playing with 5k on gg like a random 5k we're trying to start it because you know there might be a whale entering later so like we were trying to start it and it was like me ape styles um schindler ali uh ali's uh, second account uh chris brewer you know like those guys and they all got banned right of course like brewer also uh, uh you know i talked to brewer and i thought he was like part of the ali crew but like uh he didn't really do anything. He just had like some preflop charts open. And I do believe him because like I play with him a bunch and he's like, you know, it's not like he's tanking every spot. He's not taking like weird lines. And then of course, you know, you have two times Ali or three times Ali. And then you have Schindler, maybe, you know, you, you don't know. Uh, and Ape Styles also got banned, but I don't know what happened there. Uh, I got really mad at him because, you know, I like him a lot. Uh, but yeah, I apologize to him because like he was not really, you know, there was no fishy... Uh, stuff going on there so you know uh but yeah that, that was like the whole field you know we started a 5k with like six people and all five of them got banned and i was like what the fuck is this <laughs> <laughs> like that was that was really bad right so yeah the, the thing the thing with ali is hilarious right because like like i mean you, you guys probably saw the video or the actually, breakdown. i've, I've not actually watched the video but i i've oh, seen okay. enough of the like scuttlebutt around it yeah yeah it's it's hilarious right like so he basically admits that he was multi-accounting, which is, you know, worse than RTAing, right? Like, it's legit, like, in a small field, having two, just two accounts already is, like, way worse than RTAing. Like, for the, like, the amount of money you steal from other players is just, like, way worse, right? Because you, you can see four cards right. but potentially at a, at a final table, and it's just, like, it's so bad. Like, so, like that's hilarious that he's like, oh, I, I wasn't RTAing, I was just multi-accounting. I'm like, okay, I mean that's worse. <laughs> and then, then he said like, oh, and then yeah, I got banned. And then you know because everybody was so mean to me, I just did it again. I just made a bunch of new accounts and start and did it again. I was like, what the fuck are you doing, man? Like, <laughs> you're making it worse. Uh, and yeah, it's uh, and it just shows that like, the thing is right, he's very good at poker, you know, like he he's just really good at poker, so. Like, to do that, you have to be, like, one of the biggest pieces of shit in the world. Like, it, it's really that bad. Because you're sitting there, 
you're you're literally stealing people's money and the excuse you have is that they might also be cheating is like just don't play the fucking game then like that that's how simple <laughs> it is like there's no excuse there's no excuse you have to be like such a such an asshole to do that it's it's unbelievable and uh yeah i hope he he never gets to play anything at, at a real event or a real uh, venue ever again you know it's it's really bad and uh, it's very good that he admitted all of this things himself because <laughs> you know in general you don't really know what exactly happened or what was the extent i mean he still might be lying of course but like the, the the things that he admitted to are bad enough for him to never play anything ever again so that's very good you know uh fuck those guys but yeah so it's mostly at the high stakes i would say uh that you have to be worried about and not so much at the lower stakes but i do understand why people you know are scared uh i think uh it's a le legitimate concern and i don't think you should put your fate in the sights because <laughs> like there's no there's no real reason why they should do anything besides pretending you know pretending so yeah, you just gotta be careful and play big fields as much as you can. Basically, that's my advice. So you were working a bit with, um, or even you were you were backed a bit by Bryn Kenny, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So what was your, what was your take on that whole uh, situation? Did did he ever try to give you frog poison? No, that's the thing, right? <laughs> so like, it was kind of it was kind of funny because uh, I didn't know about any of this, which of course sounds like a, a you know a bad excuse, right? But Martin, when he came out, he explicit, explicitly mentioned me as the guy who's definitely not cheating or doing any shady shit, which I do appreciate because, <laughs> like, <laughs> everybody else, he basically said, you know, they were, like, you know, fucking cheating and all that shit. Um, and so I actually talked to Martin uh, a bunch, and, you know, uh, I talked to Bryn uh, after I sent that tweet that, there might be something fishy going on. Maybe I don't know. I'll, uh, you know, I don't really know. Uh, and Brent got really mad at me because, well, basically, I kind of threw him under the bus in a sense. I don't know. Like, at the moment, I didn't feel like it was like that. I just wanted to get to more, you know, facts, right? Because I really care about this shit. Like, I don't want to be involved with anything that's, like, shady. Like, nothing, nothing, you know? That's very important to me. So, like, I was kind of, like, somewhat offended that I might have been involved yeah, in, that you, in like, something with this. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I was like, okay, shit, I gotta I gotta talk to everybody. So I talked to a bunch of people. I talked to Doug a little bit as well. Um I talked to um yeah some other people and like basically a lot of what Martin said he stated as fact, which I I like Martin and I think uh he got treated poorly by Bryn. That's like number one. I I agree with that 100%. I, I think like it's also kind of like um, a circumstantial thing, you know, like, but I, I agree. Like, I, I think had the right to be upset with Bryn. Um, he also said some stuff um, PLO thing, right? On party poker, he got, he played like a 5K PLO and he got taken over by some other guy. Uh, I think that's also like real. That definitely happened. Um, I think... The thing with uh, Lauren Roberts, he said that like, you know, Bryn was her agent. When she played, he would like put all his horses in the same tournament and they would kind of like collude against her to take her money. Right. When she played, there was no real like, oh, these, these are like five horses of Bryn or six horses of Bryn like in this field, you know, and trying to take her money. That, so that didn't happen. And then the, the other part is like Bryn 
you know, play determined on her account uh, or whatever. I, I don't know if that was confirmed or not. I don't know about that one. And then you had the, the ghosting and the multi-accounting and satellites. And I also did work on that. And there's also like very little evidence of that, right? Um, and then you had the, the thing where uh, he was in Mexico, right? In the, and he called, um, what's his name again? Uh, I said X, uh, uh, Girona, uh, what was his real name? I forgot, but yeah. So at that point he was like on a file table and he went to his house and he, you know, he, he, they were like playing with two, you know, like he was asking advice to the other guy. So that happens, but like Brynn didn't really set that up or anything. Right. So like of the whole thing of like Brynn running a, a scam stable, you know, ghosting allegations, like a lot of it doesn't really hold up right it's like okay it's there is something there but it's not like Bryn is like this evil mastermind running like you know a scam on on gg where he just you know has like all these horses uh ghosting each other and um colluding like that that was never the case right so i think the the the, the problem uh i think came after when a lot of these things were taken at face value and Bryn is very bad at talking to normal people, I would say, in the sense that like when he did the interview, it really didn't come across like very favorable for him, right? And I think uh, it, it just got blown up and people just ran with it and it wasn't really like a really big thing in my opinion, right? So, I mean, that's my take on it. Also, he never really... Uh, asked me to do anything or you know frog poison poison or anything i think it was like i think one time he, he he told me to talk to you know like some therapist guy that he knew i was like okay and then never happened uh gave me his number of his barber i think in la or vegas and the guy just sent me like positive vibes like literally he just messaged <laughs> me like Hey, pause the vibe for today, buddy. I was like, hey, thanks, man. <laughs> and that, that's, that's like super weird, right? But it's like, okay, that's fine. Like, I don't really, you know, it's all good. And it, like, Bryn has this kind of like weird uh, spiritual thing. Yeah, that, that, I think that's, you know, I didn't know about all the, you know, the frog poison shit and all the shaman stuff. You know, I, I didn't know about any of that. I think it was like a little bit before uh, I was with him. But yeah, but yeah, he's definitely a little bit, you know, spiritually on the on you know i don't know how to say it but like he, he's definitely not a, not like a, a normal guy right so like i i think i think the perception is way worse than what actually happened and but yeah it hurt him a lot it hurt Bryn a lot in uh the image department and yeah i, I don't think uh anything that bad happened I, but i also want to say i don't think like like i'm not i'm not calling like martin a liar or anything like he just stated some things that were definitely true and then he stated some things that he thought were true, right? So, like, it's not like he was lying. It was, it was just, like, some of the things didn't really happen the way he said it. Some of the things did happen, and they were like, okay, you know, the frog poison thing and all that shit, you know, that was probably real. But, but like, the, the whole... People came away from the interview as if, like, oh, Brynn is, like, running a, a massive uh, scam stable or something like that. Um, and I, I, that, that, that was definitely not true. I'm just going to say for people who are listening, I'll, I'll 
try to put a couple of links in the show notes because I'm sure there are some people who are listening who have no idea what the hell we're talking about. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Frog poison. What the, <laughs> I don't really want to like tell the whole story now, but um, yeah. I'll, I'll encourage people if, if uh, like there, there are plenty of places where you can you can read the full story if you're so inclined. Yeah. yeah. Um, is there any other online poker uh, tea you want to spill? No, not really. I mean, I don't think so. No, I don't think so. Oh, I'm curious then just to ask you, uh, how how's living with all these animals changed the way that you think about like living in general or, or living as a human being? Uh, yeah, that's a, that's a completely different question, but I like it. <laughs> uh, yeah, for me, I would say it has changed me in like profoundly, like it completely changed me. Like I always struggled with, I think like a lot of people do with like, oh, my place in the world and, you know, my purpose, you know, uh, quote unquote kind of thing. And now I kind of have this purpose, right? Like I have these animals, I have this kind of, um, you know, I'm vegan, I'm politically, you know, left-leaning, whatever, the whole thing. Like, I feel like now my, my image of myself is like good. I like who I am now. And I think that's, that's very important to me. And I think the animals are like a massive reason why I am like this now is just like this kind of understanding that like everything is somewhat like we are part of a bigger thing, you know, like we're not just living our own lives and striving for, you know, personal uh, stuff is not that important. In my opinion, we all owe each other everything. We owe the planet everything. Like we we're like one thing, you know, like, yeah, so like I, I think the animals really brought that out in me and uh, gave my life purpose, right? Like, or at least an understanding of what my purpose could be. I, I'm still not happy with, you know, what I add to the world or how I make it better. You know, uh, I still I'm still not happy with that, but I know like that's my goal, right? I wanna I wanna make it better, you know, and I think that's already very important, you know, um, to step away from like this personal personal goals, personal achievements kind of thing that is like ingrained into you from, you know, when you're going to high school, like, oh, you know, you can become this and you can become that. And it's, it's completely fine, but like, it's, it's way too linear for me. You know, I think like it's way more important to the, the whole picture, you know, like realizing there's a whole, this whole picture and we're all responsible for everybody and for everything. Like it really you know, opened my eyes. Uh, the animals definitely opened my eyes to that. And uh, I'm very grateful. Yeah, for sure. You know, I, I was sort of joking before about how many, um, how many animals you live with or how many different types of animals, but really for like, for most of human history, this was kind of how people live, like living um, among animals or, or with animals and working alongside animals. Right? I mean, it, it, we're really the exception, at least, I mean, obviously a lot of people are alive now, but in terms of like, years of human existence the way that we live in in sort of like the the modern world now is is the exception yes exactly right so i also you know like veganism intersects intersects sex with a lot of um economic events um so like in the 18th century or something where like america became like very industrialized when you read about it it's all like you know this kind of maximum exploitation of animals you know it's like at a certain point chicago was like the biggest slaughterhouse in the world and then it went to new york and you know you read all about this and it's like okay it's this whole like uh wealth that is created 
you know, in modern times, a lot of it comes from exploiting the planet and exploiting animals and exploiting, of course, you know, working class people. And the wild is like, it kind of disappears, you know, like, okay, overall, there's maybe like less poverty overall in the world, but like the discrepancy between, you know, people who have everything and people who have nothing is like, you know, there's so many, you know, <laughs> it's, it's insane. Right. And this, this all is like interlinked with, you know, the exploitation of the planet and an exploitation of uh, the working class people and exploitation of animals. It's, it's all, it's all, uh, it's all in there, you know, also in America, especially like the exploitation of uh, indigenous people, you know, like driving them off their land and then using the land, you know, to grow animals. Right. It's, it's, it's still there. Everything is still there. It's all kind of the same in like the last 200 years. It's been the same. And I think now with uh, the climate thing, you know, we're kind of at a breaking point and yeah, we're probably, <laughs> we're probably not heading in, into the right direction. And, uh, it's not like a recent thing, you know, it's, uh, it's, uh, yeah, it's ever, ever since, uh, you know, capitalism, uh, <laughs> came in on the forefront. It's been, it's been kind of like one way street into, you know, destruction. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've, uh... I'm sure I asked some of the same questions in terms of like, how much am I contributing to the world or whatever? And I used to feel like, uh, well, you know, as a po poker player, you're contributing basically nothing, which I still think is true. But um, I also realized that like many people are having a negative. So like <laughs> contributing nothing is is still better than what many jobs are doing. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that that's also like a thing that, that shifted maybe uh, since the last interview we did. I was like very, I was looking for, you know, a way to have a more positive impact on the world. And at the moment I, you know, I'm happy with being vegan and helping people out if I can and helping animals out if I can. And I think that's enough. And yeah, I agree with like the poker thing is like, it's, it's, it's better than being, you know, like a loan shark or <laughs> running like a, a billion dollar business and exploiting workers, right? Like it's, it's way better. It's way better, you know? And uh, I also think it's kind of sad that a lot of poker uh, players, they kind of want to go into the direction of like, okay, I can use my skills to become an investment banker yeah. or something like that. And it's like, well, yeah, but why? You know, like it's worse, you know? Okay, you have maybe more stable income, but you're actually like, I mean, it's worse, you know? The, the, the money you make is like, I mean, has like, is more tainted than the money you make playing poker, you know? Because like poker is, is a fair game, right? And people, when they sign up for it, they kind of know the rules. So like, you know, it, I mean, they don't know like how bad they are sometimes or they don't know how much money you're taking or whatever, but like, it's still a fair game and it's somewhat zero sum, you know, besides the, the rake. Um, so I think it's fine, to be honest, poker. I think it's fine. It's a reasonable uh, way to make a living my opinion. Yeah. I, I think the people who are going into the, um, like some of the careers, the investment banker or whatever that, that you were talking about, I, I don't think their concern was like poker wasn't contributing something to the world. I think there's a, a sort of respectability that in certain circles is, is not attached to poker that is attached to that sort of traditional career path of becoming like a, you know, just like working on wall street or, or that kind of thing. Yeah. But you know, 
you're a scumbag if you work on Wall Street. Oh, no offense to anybody <laughs> listening. <laughs> no offense to the scumbags. <laughs> I mean, you're just, you know, uh, what's it called? Uh, making the market more efficient, right? That's your job, right? That's, uh, that's what you're, you contribute to the economy, right? Fuck that shit. No, I mean, it's, uh, I mean, poker is fun, man. Like, I, I, I like poker, you know, uh, on, a, on a level now that is, like, beyond, you know, just a game. I, I really think, like, it's a good way to make a living, man. I, I really, uh, I really think it's, uh, you know, there's no shame attached, in my opinion, or they should, there shouldn't at least be, because I, I do understand, like, the status thing and poker being kind of, like, still an illegitimate way to make your money in the, in the real world, but I, I think, like, it's not true. I just think it's not true. I think it's, a, it's an okay way to make a living, for sure. Yeah, the real world really shouldn't be the uh, measuring stick for me personally. <laughs> yeah, I think, I, yeah. And, and so, like, you know, for someone like you who um, lives on an animal rescue, like, that's already outside of, like, you know, what people would consider normal in the real world. So it's it's obvious why you wouldn't view that as a uh, measuring stick. And I feel yeah. the same way. Yeah, exactly. Right. Because, like, for you too, you know, you you know what, like, you you're aware that like this you know this this bullshit american dream thing where you you know you work hard you can make it it's just a bunch of bullshit right because like you can just look around and see people working like two jobs and they make no fucking money right and then you have a guy making billions and he's you know he can he can barely tie his own fucking shoes right so like it's it's like you know the world is not fair and i think like in poker it is somewhat fair you know like it's very you know everybody can do it and uh, yeah I, I agree like the world is a very bad the real world is a is a, is a very bad uh measurement stick uh when it comes to you know your own uh value in, in life i would say yeah one of my favorite things about poker is that it helped me escape the real world yeah exactly yeah for me too because like i quit school when i was uh 18 you know in my last year of uh you know america like high school right so before you know you can go to university because you know i was just tired of it like i i didn't want to do it anymore and everybody was like oh you know just hang in there like a couple more months and then you have your you know your fucking paper that, that says you you can apply to university yeah but why i don't it's not for me like i don't want to do any of this you know i i don't want to i can't like one of my flaws like main flaws is that if i don't want to do something i can't make myself do it like it's impossible for me and it's very you know, it's very hard for my girlfriend because <laughs> like, uh, it, it comes out as, you know, massive laziness, which of course it is. But um, at the same time, I think it's also like, it's, it's been good for me as well. Like, I just don't want to do something that I, I, I I'm not going to do it. You know, if I don't want to do it, I'm not going to do it. So like, you can't force me. I'd rather fucking die, you know, something like this. It's like very extreme, you know, <laughs> You're right. live on the street than, you know steal a grandma's uh savings or something like that right like in the real world like stealing a grandma's savings is like a legit pr career path you know like uh i mean that's that's what the guys do on wall street right so like it's it's uh it's 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 how you look at the world that that uh affects um how you look at yourself as well yeah like for me poker was you know the way out of this kind of completely useless very kind of selfish existence just because it gave me a path to help other people besides myself or help the animals right because like 
in this world you need you need money to help people and you know to help the animals you need the money and you're not going to get it by working a normal job like it's just not possible because like it's designed to just go from paycheck to paycheck and uh maybe get your kids in a nice school and that's it you know like you, you don't have anything else right so i'm very happy uh with the freedom uh that poker gave me and uh yeah that, that's why I, I you know i got lucky you know I, I feel like a lot of poker players it's not just about like how much money you win it's just like the chance to be free of this you know this world that is somewhat unfair is like the biggest win you can have you know like just breaking out and being able to live the life you want to a certain extent right like it's uh you know, I don't like fancy shit, so I don't have anything, but like, I don't want that stuff anyway. But like, you know, like being able to not worry about, oh, how are, how are we gonna, like this horse, you know, can we rescue it? Or, you know, oh, this dog, these people, you know, if, if we don't take him in, he's going to go to a shelter, blah, blah, blah. So like, like not, not having to think twice about those things and just say, okay, let's do it. You know, let's do it. It's like, this freedom and this 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 kind of opportunity that you get is so amazing you know for me it's it's like uh, it's very 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 important yeah i got a um a kind of a quick change of pace here but before i do i want to um, give andrew opportunity to like continue on this no go ahead change change of pace yeah yeah yeah, yeah. so 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 quickly because i could like feel like we might be wrapping up here and i wanted to take this opportunity to First, thank you. And also to um, piggyback off of what you said about using poker to help people. Like one of the things you did was help me by reviewing my bracelet win on uh, pokercoaching.com. So thank you for that. And, and one of the one of the things that I always wanted to follow up with you on, and they're like, I think of you when I think of like the new thing for me over the last year or two of like, you know, learning about poker was like understanding how ICM affects um, your strategy throughout the entire tournament. Like a lot of people put a lot of pre a lot of emphasis on it around the bubble, but would kind of ignore it earlier in the tournament. And and even like, you know, once you get into the money. And so you helped me understand a lot about how how ICM influences the way play should look later on in the tournament. But one of the things that I always wanted to ask you is, because I've asked several people this and I haven't gotten a satisfactory answer yet. You you taught me that with, because of ICM, there's spots where you just don't call as much because folding is profitable. Like when I think of that, I think of you. Yeah. And what you do instead is you use like small three bets or like you like just small size, like you can uh, be aggressive for smaller sizes because people are just supposed to fold a lot. But my, my question is, what do you play against people who don't fold a lot? Yeah. yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. So what's your response to that? Yeah. So um, what you do is instead of having, so in ICM, uh, the most important thing about, you know, you know, your small three betting range is that it's very polar, right? So you have the top of your range and you, you have blockers to their four betting range because, you know, in theory, they, they, they can't really call. So they also have to be polarized with their four betting range. So you want to have blockers to the top of their range and you also want to have blockers to their bluffing range, right? So what happens is when 
these people, you know, you go like they open 2.1 or something, you go like five and they just call and you're like 30 big lines deep. So what you do is you, you know, the first time you have a polarized range and then, okay, the second time what you do is instead of tree betting as much blockers as the part of your bluffing range, you just adjust and use uh, a more linear range. So you, what you do is that like hands that you would normally, you know, just be on the cusp and you fold like uh, hands like ace 10, ace nine, uh, king jack, uh, king 10, all those hands, you know, that are not good enough to tree bet, get it in, but also not good enough as, you know, blockers because otherwise you have too many bluffs. You start tree betting those and you don't tree bet like king five, ace five, you stop tree betting those. So what, what happens is when they call, your overall range has more equity against their calling range, right? Because they are still capped because they are still going to four bet the top right. of the range. So like what you do is you just take out more blockers and you use more playable hands again. You know, the, the same way that you would flat um, before ICM with like King Queen, uh, you know, Jack Tan, you know, even like 8-9 suited is like, let's say 8-9 suited is a really terrible three bet in ICM because you don't block anything, right? Uh, but when they call eight, nine suited is pretty good against a range that is like, you know, some smaller pairs, uh, maybe like broadways and ASAX, like eight, nine suited is pretty good. So you just use those instead uh, of the blockers. Right. And you can just do it, do this over and over and over again. And it's going to work, you know, and you just play like somewhat straightforward post flop, except that you basically see about a hundred percent of the time and you over. Bet the t like you oversee bet uh, frequency, like, uh, how can I say this? Like, basically, you, you blindly want to, you blindly want to go bet bet blindly, you know, like, except if you have like second pair or something, right? So if you have right. nothing, you just go bet bet. And you can use very small sizing on the flop. And you can still use small sizing on the turn depending on how deep it is, right? And the only hands you want to check on the turn are hands that can't call a jam um but have reasonable equity right so like you want to check flush draws a lot on the turn so hands like you know eight nine suited become also better because you can bet them on the flop blindly and then when you have a flush draw on the turn you can check them uh to get there on the river and their range is like kind of bluff catchy but they don't really know you know like they, they might use polar side like they might fuck up a, a big big part of the time and you're just sitting there with either you have a missed flush draw where if they check, you can just bet. And when they bet, you can just jam and you're perfectly fine. Like you're completely balanced. So it's, uh, once you start like playing like that a little bit more, you can really, really, really make a lot of uh, people like hate their lives. And it's very good. <laughs> yeah, my, my understanding was that you really don't want to, you don't, you don't want to do a lot of playing post-flop. Um, when ICM is heavy. Mm -hmm. And yeah. so my 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 understanding was if these people aren't going to fold to these small three bets that we use, it's like the the moment they call, like we both lose money. Like they lose more than we do, but yeah. they lose, we lose, and then everybody else kind of benefits because like you taught me, the other people who fold it, those folds are profitable because now, you know, me and this other guy are kind of like in a pissing match post-flop when we didn't need to be if the guy just folds like he's supposed to. But it sounds like what you're saying now is that we can kind of like make up for that if we just um, use a more linear range that is in better shape against his flatting range. 
Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That's like the adjustment you make when people make the mistake of calling uh, too much three bets in ICM spots is you just go more linear linear. Because like the reason why you go polar, like I said, is like to reduce their four betting range, right? Uh, but if they don't four bet, you know, uh, except when they have the nuts, it doesn't matter. And you just three bet. And sometimes it's going to be like a hand that's going to feel awkward. Like, you know, you have like uh, a stand suited, right? You three bet a stand suited and they four bet and you feel like, ah, oh, shit. Uh, but it's an easy fold because they only right. have the nuts, right? But when they call, like, it's such a good spot for you because, okay, they might have ace jack and sometimes maybe ace queen off. But they never have ace king. They never have aces. They never have kings. They never have queens, right? So like, you can still get away with playing post flop, you know, small ball kind of, you know, Daniel Lagrano style poker, and just see where you're at. And uh, it's gonna work out really well, in my opinion, especially against Americans. No offense to Americans, but <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, uh, like these days, like I mean, when when did we do that that session, right? Mm -hmm. uh, it's like. A year and a half ago, maybe? I don't know. I can't remember. Yeah, I want to say, yeah, it was about a year and a half ago, I think. Yeah, exactly. So since then, on GG, now everybody plays like this. Everybody's Absolutely. small tree betting. Nobody's calling anymore. Uh, I mean, the regs, right? Like the good regs. So like the regs have caught up to me for sure, like when it comes to ICM, you know? So I lost a big part of my uh, ROI, like a lot, just because I, I felt like maybe I wasn't the first, but like... I was at least aware of like all of the regs were making mistakes and I was aware and I was trying to exploit that. And now it's, it doesn't work like that anymore because you can watch like GG millions, you know, 10K final table and you can see it, you know, like I was the guy who was three betting every hand because I knew that they were opening too wide and they were not four betting enough. And even when they call a three bet, they're fucked, right? So now what you see is like click 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 you know like the the big guys they know they know it's it's done like there's no more there's no more flatting it's only clicking and and getting it in and uh yeah it's because uh you know the solvers uh focused on icm in the last uh, year and a half and uh yeah everybody's caught up now so uh but yeah you know at the lower stakes and i mean again live does not count you know i i, I live there's no there's no, you don't need a, a bounce strategy live, right? So like, it's only for online and um, yeah. I mean, against like weaker fields, you should just go more linear with the three bets again. It's gonna work out really well for you. Okay. Yeah, I didn't I didn't know if, you know, the ICM tax that we get for going post-flop was so big that even the, the increased edge we get by using this linear range would be enough mm -hmm. to make up for that. But sounds like that's, that yeah, is yeah. enough. So okay. you, you, you convinced yourself that you should just be a massive nit and only tree bet the, the nuts, right? That's what you did? No, what I did is <laughs> if in order to, if, if and this was not a good adjustment, uh, but if these people won't fold to these small three bets, I'm just going to jam and make them fold. Oh, no, you can still jam hands as well, right? So, I mean, final table is a little bit different, but, you know, like final three tables or something, you could just jam with, with like ace king ace queen uh even has like king queen suited queen jack suited. you can just jam all of those you know you still do that 30 big blinds or less doesn't matter just fucking yeah. rip it yeah. so would that would that be better than the small three bet and and oh. um i mean you can mix it still you can mix mm. it still yeah like yeah. with aces you can always go small especially if they call too right. much right like just go small and, uh, and then they'll be like oh you know when they when he goes small his range is strong but 
you know, you still add in like Ace Five once in a while, and it's fine, you know. Uh, right. But yeah, you can definitely do it. Definitely mix it up, two sizes, uh, one jam and one small is fine. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. It's like when you when you talked about how these guys are like just clicking it against each other, it kind of reminded me of like 2006 poker. Oh like yeah. That, oh yeah. That was the thing. So it's funny that that's coming back around. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's exactly like that. It's, um, you know, like, uh, Joseph, uh, Chong, I think his name is, I don't know yeah, how yeah. to pronounce it. Yeah. Like that famous hand where you just click and click, 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 click. That's like, <laughs> that's like what's happening now all the time. It's, it's, it's really like that. You know, like one guy has uh, Kings and the other guy has ACE four offsuit <laughs> and it's like a six bet ball, you know, uh, <laughs> that's how it works now. Yeah. The six bet is back. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I'll, I'll give you a chance to um, plug your your stream again at, at the end, uh, and, and I'll say that if it's any help to your whatever lingering existential dilemma you have, I think that um, I, I, part of why I like the idea of you as an influencer is that I think you are a, a very good influence, and I think that um, you know it doesn't necessarily require like actively proselytizing veganism or something on on your stream but just showing people the possibility of like hey i can i can live like this you know like i i don't have a lot of fancy stuff i have fun i take care of animals and that that's all just sort of in the background like it's stuff that people know about you maybe the the goats making the occasional uh appearance on uh, like i like carlos's suggestion <laughs> but yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> you know i just think it's, it's good like, kind of like what i said you know that we're sometimes trying to do with this show of just highlighting you know different ways of uh existing as a poker player or just uh existing as a as a human person yeah exactly yeah i mean uh yeah i, I don't you know i i don't do discussions on the stream you know i'm not like because the thing is right and this is not i mean this, this is gonna sound like almost snobbish right but i did a lot of fucking research right and you got your research from well not you but like you know the general guy who's like oh you gotta eat red meat or Oh, no, your B12 or whatever fucking vitamins or, uh, you know, all that shit. Like, it's all bullshit. And they got their information from, like, you know, some fucking YouTube video. And I've read, like, you know, papers and shit like that. So, <laughs> like, it's uh, it's like I, I don't I don't need to discuss with you. Like, I don't like I'm done with, like, trying to convince people by engaging in a discussion because I it's not working. So what I'm doing now is like you know, make people like be, be people's hero, man. I want to be the fucking hero, man. I want to be like fucking Phil Ivy. I want to be like, you know, uh, Patrick Antonius, you know, but like the fucking Jesus version, you know, I want to be, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I want to be the shining light, you know, <laughs> I mean, that's, that's a, it's a joke, but like at the same time, I, I am who I am and I, I'm not gonna, you know, I'm not gonna like blast you for, you know, being different than me, but like, I am who I am. And I think I'm right. You know, I think like the way I approach life or different kind of stuff is somewhat correct and it's somewhat informed. And, you know, if you like, it's a legitimate, you know, way to think about things and, uh, maybe you should too, you know, it, it might improve your life. And, uh, I hope, uh, I hope I can, uh, influence people that way, you know, to, become a, a little bit more kinder and uh a little bit less focused on this kind of you know this this drive for money and success uh i think that's kind of uh because i think that's that's the wrong path 
path to take, you know. I, it's an understandable path to go for because, you know, it's like the whole world works like that. But I think it's very shallow and very uh, unrewarding in the long run. So uh, I hope uh, I can uh, influence people uh, in that way. So if people wanted to um, see your stream, what again is the... Uh, Jarofganger7 on Twitch. So twitch.com slash Jarofganger7. You can also find me on uh, Twitter, uh, Jarofganger7, on Instagram, Jarofganger7. Yeah, that's it. I'm almost never on Instagram, but um, he is a good follow. There's a lot of good animal pictures on there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm trying to do, you know, like three a week with like a funny video with like a fun song of the animals, you know, I, I think I, I like it a lot. So I'm going to keep doing that. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And, and, fo- and follow him on Twitter too. Like, the, like he is hilarious with his captions on Twitter when he's like <laughs> promoting the, the channel. It's yeah. like, it's so funny. Like he, he is, uh, yeah. If nothing else, if you like, like dark humor, He's pretty funny. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> is is there anything outside of poker that you want to plug, like something that you'd encourage people to read or listen to or watch or whatever? Read uh, Capital by Marx and support your uh, local animal shelters. I would say that. Do you actually consider Capital specifically worth worth reading as opposed to like, you know, a, a more digestible uh, <laughs> no, yeah, I would say I would say maybe start with something uh, more uh, digestible. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've, I've I've read some of it, and yeah, yeah, it's it's, it's, it's difficult it's, going. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, it's but it's also lot. not right. Like, I think it's if for people who just have a sort of stereotypical idea of of Marx or sort of like you know whatever you would hear in like popular, not only yeah, conservative yeah. press. Like, it's it's yeah, very yeah. inaccurate. Like the the way he runs, a lot of people have like taken Marxism and run with it in, in certain directions. But like yeah, a yeah, lot yeah. of the stuff that he actually wrote is actually very dry. It's not at all like pamphleteering yeah, yeah. or um, it's, no, it's, no, it's, it's like yeah, economics. yeah, yeah. It's like econo- economics. Yeah, but yeah, I would say. I would say stop watching, uh, you know, stop following the YouTube algorithm. I think that's also good advice because <laughs> it's <laughs> it's uh, it's going to point you in uh, in the wrong direction. I think, in my opinion, uh, like a lot of a lot of shit is, uh, you know, it's not good. It's not good. <laughs> so, I mean, I I, w- I would rather you go on a Reddit in some fucking weird. Uh, weird channel than a youtube algorithm i would say awesome well thank you again for for taking the time thank you for being a good influence on the the, the poker world and thank you for joining us uh, it's my pleasure it's my pleasure okay guys have a good day of a car light of the fair passage of a bill and who will sign us into law I know you won't